Do you have frequent sinus infections? Do you have chronic congestion? Do you have post-nasal drip or are on Claritin or an equivalent histamine blocker what may feel like daily? Or do you have ear drainage problems such as ears that feel clogged and uncomfortable? If so, you may be one of the 40 million Americans that suffer from chronic sinusitis each year. Chronic sinusitis is one of the most common human diseases affecting one in seven American adults. How do you know if you're a part of that? According to Mayo Clinic, the most common symptoms of sinusitis are nasal inflammation, thick discolored discharge from the nose, drainage down the back of the throat or post-nasal drainage, nasal obstructions or congestion causing difficulty to breathe through your nose, pain, tenderness, and swelling around your eyes, cheeks, nose, and forehead, and a reduced sense of smell and taste. Over 20% of patients who have chronic sinusitis are unresponsive to drug therapy, which includes corticosteroids and antibiotics, and they are also uh, non-responsive to immunotherapy, such as allergy shots, and they also aren't responsive to surgery either. That is why researchers have been looking into what other causes of sinus and sinus congestion might be, and you guessed it, they have been finding a strong link to the gut. On today's episode, we're going to be talking all about the gut-sinus connection, why your sinuses might be so inflamed, and what you can do about it. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health. Well, all right. If you have been with us the past few weeks, you know we have been going through a series on the connection of other parts of the body with the gut. We started off with the gut-skin connection. Last week, we did the gut-breath connection, and today we are doing the gut-sinus connection. If you haven't checked out the other episodes, they are really helpful, and they are things that I'm finding are just not being posted about as much. They're just not as in the normal, whatever, things, blogs and articles you find, and so I would strongly recommend checking those things out. 
In the meantime, for today's episode, we are checking out the gut-sinus connection. And to talk and start that off, I want to talk about, as we've done with the other episodes, the anatomy and physiology behind the connection. So it's not this imaginary, oh, you know, let's just, I'm sure it's a spiritual connection or something, Um, though spiritual things can always be, you know, be a part of things we're going we're experiencing. But the truth is, we really want to be founded in anatomy and science and physiology. So the anatomy of the gut-sinus connection is much more similar to the gut-skin connection. It is primarily through the blood. And in our gut-skin connection podcast episode, we talked about how the gut is um, absorbing things into the body, and it's supposed to be absorbing all the good things and keeping all the bad things out. And that can be a, uh, you know, it's designed to work that way, but it also can then be damaged and that system doesn't work the way it should. And we're absorbing things we then shouldn't, whether they're inherently toxic or just things like whole food particles that are not fully digested. They end up in the liver and after the liver detoxes or tries to detox them, even if they're not fully detoxed, they all get dumped into the bloodstream and circulated to our entire body, our joints, our brain, our skin, everything. And that includes our sinuses. So uh, the anatomy of the gut's of the gut sinus connection starts in the blood and there's inflammation and inflammatory markers in the blood that get up into the sinus cavities. This causes inflammation in the mucous membranes of the sinus cavities. And remember that anything that has a mucous membrane in general, its job is it's meant to be part of our immune system. There's also a mucous membranes typically have a high turnover of cells. And so they're replacing cells faster than other parts in our body. Um, We even talked about in the gut skin connection, how our eyelids, they're very thin um, parts of our skin and it it also replaces cells pretty quickly. And so um, sometimes those areas where you have high turnover of cells, you're going to see worse worse symptoms or or even just like kind of early onset symptoms. And so sinuses can be a big place where and, and the mucous membranes inside of them could be a big place where you're going to see, even if you're not getting GI symptoms, or maybe you feel like you have moderate or mild GI symptoms, suddenly you're going to have very intense sinus symptoms. And so you'll get the mucous membranes will, uh, will inflame, they'll puff up, they'll also start making more mucus, you'll get a blockage of your drainage ducts, you will have fluid retention problems in your sinuses and your ear cavities, and that will predispose you to bacterial infections. So that's where you start to get the, I actually have a sinus infection. If you get sinus infections, honestly, like more than once a year, that is a that is a high frequency of sinus infections. Um, and as a comparison, for example, not because I have better health than my brother, but I don't have sinus problems, not that I don't have gut problems, but, um, that's just not an area where that's been a problem for me. But, but my brother who does, I mean, he used to get them one to three, sometimes more times a year, um, when we were kids. And so if you feel like you're that person, listen in, um, research, that is there's more and more research that they're really doing on the gut sinus connection 
I really love there's a case report, which, of course, when you're doing major research, they usually want you to be researching hundreds of people in a, you know, double blind trial and all this jazz. But but when you're trying to understand in the early we're still in kind of the early stages of the gut sinus connection, understanding it when you start doing research, you really start one person at a time. And so there's this lovely case report out there on uh, chronic rhinosinusitis, which is what we're talking. It's the same thing, um, sinusitis and IBS and a 69 year old woman who had sinusitis that they just could not get rid of through surgery, et cetera. And they ended up checking out her gut and she had candida in her gut, multiple food sensitivities and leaky gut. And so leaky gut and sinusitis are, are, are going to go hand in hand. And if you might have leaky gut and not have sinus problems, and that's a possibility, it just depends on your genetics, on what I call, what is your Achilles heel of your body? Uh, maybe you have gut problems and you have more skin problems, or you have gut problems and you have more sinus, or you have gut problems and you have more gut problems, as was my case, hormone imbalance all that jazz, but um, we're going to leave that link in the show notes if you want to check out that case report because I think it's pretty cool Um, and one of the more easy to read case reports out there excuse me, not case reports, one of the more more easy to read research studies out there. But if you even Google, you know, IBS and sinusitis or um, gut health and sinusitis, you're going to see more and more stuff out there. I don't agree with everything I found. I even did a quick Google search to say like, what is, what would you guys find if you did some research? So I'm going to talk about some of the things today that I disagreed with on some of the like recommendations for how to help your sinuses. But uh, we'll also be talking about what I do agree with and what you can do to help your sinus health. So some symptoms of the gut sinus connection being dysfunctional. Um, First off in the sinuses, you're going to have that sinusitis, all the things we talked about um, of that congestion in the head, post-nasal drip. Um, The other things though that we also want to keep in mind is worsening seasonal allergies is showing a buildup of histamine in the body, Um, frequent sinus infections, which I also have mentioned, if you are on Claritin a lot, that is not a good lifestyle. And we actually have a really helpful podcast episode, um, episode 25 on histamine. Um, we It's called histamine, a possible cause of your diarrhea, IBS, fatigue, insomnia, and more. So we'll have a link in the show notes for that. And when you are, but one of the interesting things is when you're on a histamine blocker like Claritin, you're not actually lowering the levels of histamine in your body. You're just blocking them. And it's kind of like a dam. It just builds up more and more and more. So your cells aren't necessarily being affected by it. Well, of course, until the Claritin wears off and then and then you're you just feel like you're just congested more and more and more and you feel like, well, maybe you're just more sensitive to all the pollens and all that jazz. And it's like, well, maybe you're just not detoxing your histamine and you actually can do that like you can detox histamine. We do that through some enzymes in our body. Some of our are some are in our liver, some are in our gut um, and then there's some even antihistamine things that go float around in our blood. But that being said, um, we definitely want histamine to be lower in our body. Uh, If you have congestion after you eat foods and you might even know maybe it's certain foods, maybe it feels like it's generally like if you eat food and then you feel more congested afterwards. But I've noted uh, sugar, high sugar foods. Uh, A lot of my clients will notice having more congestion, um, high uh, dairy foods, and then just anything you're any 
I, those are the two most common things, but it could be happening with other things that you're just, if you're eating a certain food every day, maybe stop eating it for a week and see if your congestion is decreases. You might have a food sensitivity or if you have leaky gut, a food sensitivity because of that, or just like straight up, like the liver sugar is really stressful on the liver, things like that. It's just going to flare up your congestion. If you have ear drainage problems, if you have tinnitus and if you have a puffy face, so that's the puffy face showing like lymphatic drainage problems. It's low grade edema. It doesn't go away no matter how much weight you lose type thing. Um, that could be a sign that your, your overall head has a lot of inflammation in it. In your gut, we can see acid reflux, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, abdominal pain, gas, and then also in the gut sinus connection, you're going to get all these peripheral problems as well showing up, like your period being out of whack, joint pain, muscle pain and stiffness, sugar cravings, chronic fatigue, depression, anxiety, foggy-headedness, and then of course, skin problems. Um, if you want, if you haven't listened to our episode on the gut skin connection, you will understand if you, if you listen to it, you'll understand why skin problems can be showing up when the gut skin or the gut sinus connection is dysfunctional. So how do you help the gut sinus connection if, if it's aggravating itself? (laughs) Number one, I would recommend to get your gut checked out and that, you know, that, is assuming if you've already been on restricted diets, if you've already cleared, cleaned out your diet, you're eating organic foods, you have air filters in your home, you stay away from excessive sugar, um, you do kind of normal healthy diet stuff, you, you exercise, you move, you sleep regularly, all that jazz, those are good basic things. But really, if you're like, I'm a healthy person, Allison, and my sinuses cannot get under control, get your gut checked out. And I encourage you to see someone who does functional medicine, gastroenterologist at a conventional care unit. They if you're coming into them without GI problems and sinus stuff, you're never even going to see the gastroenterologist to begin with. You will be sent to the ENT. The ENT can t- check helpful things, and we'll actually go over that in just a sec. But um, really, if you want really good help checking out your gut, I would encourage you to work with somebody who's doing functional medicine. You can work with us at our clinic. You can fill out a 30-minute complimentary consultation application. If we can help you, if you have things going on that sound like our wheelhouse, we will set you up with that 30-minute call and talk about how you can work with us. But those functional medicine providers will check for things like parasites, bacteria, yeast, fungus, mold, or at least they should check for those things. They want to see if you're digesting well. Do you have enough stomach acid? Do you have enough bile? Are you actually breaking down your foods in your body? Do you have what are your histamine levels in your body? Do you have leaky gut? If you have leaky gut, you're going to have lower levels of something called DAO. And this is helps you break down histamine in the gut. You could try a low histamine diet. There are foods that are higher in histamines and there are foods that are lower in histamines. And these foods that are high in histamines like avocado, they are healthy for you. But if you want to do like a fun test on yourself and do a low histamine diet and see if your congestion clears up a little bit or a lot of it, um, that is a good way to say, oh, I've got, I'm not breaking down histamine in my body and usually points to something like his or a leaky gut. And the question is, why do you have leaky gut? That's what you're 
practitioner would be looking for. Is it heavy metals? Is it is it pathogens? Is it food sensitivities? Overall, you want to be looking for the root cause of what's going on and not just slapping on a Band-Aid of a low histamine diet. Because ultimately, if you, if you stay on a low histamine diet, like you are going to be missing valuable nutrients that you need and that will benefit your body. So low histamine diets, a short-term, it's, it's both a easy test you could run if you just look up what a low histamine diet is, what, are, what foods are low histamine, and then if you, um, you can use it as a test and you can also use it as a short-term improvement, but definitely not long-term healing solution. You really want to get rid of the factors that are causing leaky gut and not helping your body break down histamine. Uh, lastly, you want to remove inflammatory foods. And so a good starter place, even if you don't have GI symptoms, is removing wheat and dairy as a baseline thing and not cheating on them. And this is something that I'm just realizing I'm seeing more and more. And so I'm going to say it here is that when, there are there are immune responses in your body. We have something called IgA and then we have something called IgG and they're part of our immune response to food. And so if you have, well, to lots of things, but including food, if you have a sensitivity to wheat, you first off might not necessarily even get GI symptoms, none. A majority of symptoms of wheat sensitivity are neurological in manner. And so that's foggy headedness, et cetera. And they're not going to get better it's going to actually take you more than three months to even see an improvement in any of those things if you have a wheat sensitivity. And you might really not see the improvement you want if you have a wheat sensitivity and a parasite or a wheat sensitivity and H. pylori. You really need to get rid of everything to see a big difference. And so what happens if you if you expose yourself once to wheat, what happens is you have an, an initial immune response that lasts three to six months with your IgA response. And then you have another response of your immune system that lasts, lasts six to 12 months, which is your IgG response. And I can actually do a test on clients with me. I even did a test on myself recently, and I haven't been eating wheat, and I haven't been eating corn. But I, my IgG was hot for both wheat and corn. So at some point in the last 12 months, that test said I had an exposure to wheat and corn that was high enough that it made my antibodies kick up. So one exposure, one cheat, you know, that doesn't flare up any GI symptoms can flare up my total immune system and affect my brain and affect my sinuses and affect my skin for up to 12 months. Really intense stuff. So don't cheat on your inflammatory foods. Remove them from your body. Make sure you don't have any pathogens or heavy metals going on. Make sure you are making enough stomach acid and bile. And then uh, the other thing is, is dare, or excuse me, corn is starting to be a bigger problem. I'm seeing corn on more and more people's lab test results. I'm hearing about it on podcasts. People are just, corn is causing problems. And so um, I would recommend that you consider removing corn from the diet. I did a test recently on myself and that's how I learned that corn was no bueno for me. I mean, it was really hot. And so it, for me with having miscarried in January and wanting to make sure that I can improve my fertility and improve my overall health, because I do have holes in my health, I, I did another deeper food sensitivities test and sure enough, corn was in there. So n I would recommend you also check out the episode um, number on the the number one lie about food that I hate. And that has to do with how you might not get GI symptoms with these foods and 
how food sensitivities work and how you can heal some food sensitivities and not heal other ones. So that's going to be a really helpful episode if you're thinking about diet and food and starting to to traverse or you have even been traversing it for a while, this whole scenario of what foods do I eat? How do I know what foods are causing me problems? What's up with my super restricted diet? Why isn't it helping me? Those problems. And then one note on on the gut that I, this is what I disagreed with as I was reading all these um, articles on the gut-sinus connection is that they, a lot of people are like, here's another reason why you should be taking probiotics. And I just don't agree. Um, we, you can check out episode three of our podcast on why probiotics are not healing your gut. Um, but probiotics can add to the chaos of a microbiome more often than it can reduce the chaos. And so if you're having GI problems, again, we're just seeing over and over again, people's immune systems are down, they're having candida, they're having mold, they're having all these problems, and then they're developing food sensitivities, and then their microbiome's thrown off. And when you throw a probiotic into that mix, you can actually make things worse. If you're taking a probiotic and you feel like it's making you better, great. I'm happy for you. But I also know that some of our clients will say, I was taking a probiotic and it was making me feel good. And at one point I started feeling like it was making me feel worse. And when I would go off it, I felt better. And that's a really classic sign that the probiotic is actually antagonizing the chaos of everything going on inside the gut. That's everything gut related. And then on the sinus side, um, I would recommend make sure you don't have something called a deviated septum. That's something that your ear, nose, and throat or your ENT doctor could check out. Um, You could do a personal checkup on this deviated septum by tipping your head up and like looking in a mirror or like grabbing a hand mirror and putting it underneath your chin and seeing is one of your nostrils larger than the other. And it might be mild, but if it's the more severe it is, the more likely that you have something called a deviated septum, which is that middle bone in your in your nasal cavity. Actually, instead of being straight in the middle of it, it wings off to the left or to the right, or sometimes it even pinches both the left and the right side. And it can really decrease the how well you're breathing. It can worsen sleep apnea, so you're not sleeping as well. You're not getting restful sleep. Um, My brother had a really horrible um, deviated septum. I had a friend in college have a really bad deviated septum. And he was like, yeah, when when he exercises, he never breathes through his nose. And he thought kind of everyone was that way. And then he got his deviated septum removed, or not removed, but corrected is how it works. And he was like, oh my gosh, I can breathe through my nose when I run. And this is amazing. And my head feels clear and lighter. And I feel like my eyes don't have as much pressure behind them. It was a really big difference for him. And so um, you can also try this thing that may or may not work. Again, it kind of depends on how inflamed your mucosal membranes are. But if you pinch one of your nostrils um, with your finger and you breathe in through that nose and then breathe out through it, just feel how easy or not easily the air flows and then pinch the other nose and see if it breathes, if you can breathe more easily on one side than the other. Again, that could be impacted by inflamed mucosal membranes, but it can also be impacted by the deviated septum problem. Um, if you have sleep apnea, if you sleep with your mouth open, like you wake with your wake up with your mouth open, your lips are dry in the morning, um, your tongue is dry, things like that, um, signs of sleeping with your mouth open or signs of sleep apnea, like your spouse saying you're snoring, <laughs> I would recommend seeing an, something called an orofacial myofunctional therapist. 
you know, you can always get a CPAP machine. You can tape your mouth closed. There's a book that I would recommend reading um, that we'll have a link in the show notes, but um, which is all about like breathing well. And it's, I think it's actually a New York Times bestseller. Like it's just really kind of hit the shelves and was revealing all these important things about how we breathe at night and how we breathe during the day. But um, orofacial myofunctional therapists are... It's a type of therapy that was developed by a dentist who was just realizing how much the mouth and where our tongue rests in our mouth and our mouth habits as children and as adults are impacting how our sinuses develop. And so if your children have sleep apnea, if your children are sleeping with their mouth open, if your children are walking around and like you can see their mouth just hanging open a little bit, like not like they're actively like mouth breathing, like this, like they're gasping for air, but just they're walking around and maybe some of your kids, their lips are closed, but some of your kids, your lips are open slightly. That is going to really be a big sign that they're not breathing through their nose super well. When you sleep with your mouth open or hang, have your mouth hanging open um, as you're walking around, it it means that your tongue isn't pressing up on the roof of your mouth and your tongue pressing up on the roof of your mouth is actually part of how your sinuses and your cheekbones are encouraged to spread across and open up. And so that can be, mo- I mean, of course, it's going to most impact children. So that's going to be just a really big red flag. That's something you could catch early on if you are a parent of a child. And of course, if you're an adult, um, what they found with orofacial myofunctional therapy is that you can get about a 50% improvement in sleep apnea with adults and an 80% improvement with children. That's their averages. So we'll provide a link in the show notes for how you can find an orofacial myofunctional therapist near you. They do tend to work in in dental offices. Um, Some dental offices might require you to be a client of theirs. I know there's an orofacial myofunctional therapist in the dental office I go to, and you you don't have to be a part of their dental office to see her. Um, and she's actually going to come onto the show. We're going to bring her onto the podcast. Um, you'll, she'll be on here soon. And I'm going to have her talk more about these things and, and how our mouths are affecting our sleep and our sinuses and our gut. Um, there's just some really amazing things that she knows and she works with. And so I want to bring that to y'all because orofacial myofunctional therapies are still a relatively new therapy and not just something that is being talked about too, too terribly much. So the gut sinus connection is a lot more of what we've already been talking about with the gut skin connection. There's not too much more to say other than check out your gut, heal it, do what you need to. Um, That is what we specialize in. If you've been having sinus problems, if you've been having gut problems, if you've been having both, I would love to support you and show you how you can heal your gut and just create a totally new and different life for you. If you are ready to change your life, change your health, get energy back into your life and not be restricted by your breathing or your gut pain or the foods you can eat, please go and click on our 30-minute complimentary consultation call link. You apply for that. If we believe we can help you based off of your application, you will be approved. We'll jump on a call and talk about what your options are for working with us. I would love to be a partner with your health and help you achieve higher levels of health than you have ever had. All right. Well, if you love this episode, we have so much more coming down the line. Subscribe so you never miss one of those episodes. And if you thought of a friend while listening to this podcast, I encourage you take a screenshot and share that 
this episode with your friend. I cannot remember how many times that when I, someone hears that I'm a gut health therapist that they say, oh, I know someone who needs you. So send that friend a love note to their gut or their sinuses and do us a favor and pass this podcast along to them. Other ways that you can support us is by leaving a rating and review. If you have been listening to us for a while, if you have just listened to us and you have learned something helpful today, it would mean so, so much if you would just click the link in the show notes, head over to our Apple podcast, leave a rating, hopefully five stars, a review, just a few words, and it would be so helpful so that other people can find, like you, can find this podcast. Other ways you can stay connected in the conversation is by following us on Instagram at Better Belly Therapies. I love connecting with our listeners and finding out what is resonating with you the most and also what questions you have. Are there any things, any answers you want to have on your gut health on this podcast? And as always, our motto, miracles are immediate, but healing takes time. <laughs>